Welcome back to another episode of Constructor Cast, where we navigate the ever evolving landscape of the commercial construction industry. I'm your host, Leah Poconis. Today, we're going to put a spotlight on a crucial topic that affects every corner of the construction site, and that's cybersecurity. As our industry becomes increasingly digital, so do the threats. We're thrilled to have CJ Dietzman, a senior cybersecurity risk and compliance expert at Alliant Insurance Services, joining us today. CJ is here to unravel the unique challenges contractors face as firms become more dependent on digital systems and tech innovations to conduct business. We're going to talk about what makes a construction firm vulnerable to cyber attacks, as well as tangible steps that contractors can take to mitigate and manage those risks. Please stick with us for insights that could redefine your approach to cybersecurity in construction. Welcome, CJ. We're really glad to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Leah. I'm thrilled to be here. What an outstanding topic and agenda we have for today. Let's get right to it. Awesome. I'd like to give you a moment just at the outset here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do for Alliant and why you're so interested in cyber. Most certainly, Leah. I guess I'll start by saying that for the past, oh, 25 years or so, I've been a cybersecurity practitioner focusing on risk management, controls, technology, uh, solutions implementation. I've also spent a significant time in digital forensics and cyber incident response as well as post-mortems and investigations in a general sense uh, around matters such as fraud, et cetera, that have evolved technology components across industry sectors over the years, construction services being one of those areas that I have focused on heavily. So I'm a practitioner in my heart of hearts, and I partner up with clients in the construction industry, among others, to really drive better cyber risk management outcomes. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to learning from you. I'm sure everybody listening to this episode is looking forward to learning from you as well. Let's start off with just kind of setting the stage. Can you go over some of the key cyber threats that impact the construction industry? I'm kind of curious if whether all the usual suspects that we've been hearing about for years are all those things still relevant. Leah, I appreciate that question. And I like the way you think. We really should start with the threat considerations when we're talking about the cyber realm, in my view. Uh, And when I think about the construction industry, there are indeed some usual suspects. I think it's important that we call them out because they're not going away anytime soon. And if anything, they're continuing to evolve. What discussion about cyber threats in construction industry would be complete, Leah, without talking about the epidemic of ransomware? Ransomware, malware, focused on encrypting, taking away the access, for lack of a better term, from construction personnel to their data, to their systems, in addition to being coupled with an extortion demand and the threat of a breach. So ransomware has evolved. Uh, It is a pervasive risk, but it's not all. Oftentimes, we see compound threats where we've got ransomware, but it potentially starts with a phishing component malicious links and phishing activities perpetrated by malicious actors who are looking to gain and obtain access to construction organizations and their systems and their applications and their data. They usually start with an attack on the human element. It typically involves phishing. They want your username and password. They want to get in. They want to establish a beachhead. 
I mentioned data breach in the general sense. Uh, I think any of these attacks, any of these cyber threat actors, if they obtain access, there's an inherent risk of data breach, whether that's sensitive business information that could be compromised and disclosed, PII, personally identifiable information. When I think about construction services firms with large numbers of employees, PHI, protected health information, sensitive financial and accounting and other proprietary information, sensitive and undesirable unauthorized data disclosure as a result of a breach can have massive and significant implications. I'll mention a couple of others. Business email compromise. I've worked over the years, unfortunately, Leah, in many ways, with organizations that had suffered targeted, persistent attacks on their corporate email systems. I'm talking about construction companies, construction services organizations, and related entities. Significant business email compromise with some persistence, with some dwell time where malicious actors were able to not only obtain access to sensitive data, but to exfiltrate data through the email vector, through forwarding of emails, as well as to perpetrate the last thing I'll mention, which is wire fraud, money out the door. Let's not forget about the intersection of cybersecurity risk with what I'll call general business or fraud risk. These malicious actors, more often than not, they're following the money. And if they can leverage technology and cyber attack vectors to ultimately perpetrate something like a wire fraud and get money out the door and into their hands, they're going to do it. And I know that a lot of these bad actors have gotten a lot more sophisticated. And what I'm wondering is, with regard to construction specifically, are there vulnerabilities that leave construction firms more at risk? I think when we spoke previously, you talked about them being soft spots. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the specific attributes in construction that can make construction firms more vulnerable to those threats that you just went through. Absolutely. And I think it's important that we consider sort of the unique general industry attributes of construction services firms and organizations, because there are a few, Leah, that we should call out to be considered because I do think that they drive some of those soft spots or said another way, they can leave the organization open with vulnerabilities that can be exploited by these threat actors. One that comes to mind, and I'm seeing more and more of this, is the innovation that I'm seeing in the construction industry. IoT, automation, AI, prop tech, the pervasive and and widespread use of data and analytics, significant uh, information technology dependence. You know, while these are all super critical, for business innovation, for driving revenue, for optimizing the organization. They oftentimes have the undesirable effect of increasing the cyber attack surface. And if not implemented in a reasonably secure manner, can introduce vulnerabilities and literally can open the door to additional cyber attacks. So with great innovation and evolution of an organization, there must be a commensurate focus on cybersecurity and risk management. Another characteristic that comes to mind is the proliferation of temporary sites and temporary networks. You know, many of the construction businesses that I've worked for have sort of what I've categorized as an ever-changing footprint of temporary locations, networks, as well as remote workers, which kind of ties into my next point, heavy reliance on temporary workforces. And, you know, I think this is an inherent mode of operation and it's an enabler, no doubt. Now, having said that, Temporary sites and networks can introduce soft spots when infrastructure and locations and networks and connectivity is set up in a hasty manner, in an accelerated manner, 
sometimes, unfortunately, security and controls and what we refer to as hardening fall by the wayside. And that's going to leave the organization exposed, potentially. Similar theme along temporary workforce contractors, contract consultants, staff augmentation. These are fantastic and important elements of a dynamic business in the construction industry, no doubt. Now, having said that, uh, if those temporary workforce resources aren't sufficiently screened, onboarded, if their access to systems aren't reasonably secured, if they're using unauthorized and potentially untrusted and weak assets on our trusted network, that could introduce a problem. So lots of considerations around temporary workforces. Two final things I want to mention briefly. The lack of what I'll say consistent, consolidated cyber regulatory focus. Now, Leah, many of our construction services organizations do, for example, perform work for the federal government. They might be working for three-letter agencies, the Department of Defense, and I'll, I'll say that those types of organizations probably do follow a higher order of mandatory regulation in order to do business, for example, with the DOD. Now, having said that, there's a, there's a large population of construction services firms that don't fall into that bucket and don't have a mandatory framework of compliance around technical security controls and risk management. Now, I'm not sitting here trying to say that compliance standards are everything, but they can be a hammer. They can be a mechanism by which information security leaders, risk managers, technology leaders enable their budgets and their objectives around cybersecurity and control. Without that driving force of cyber regulatory focus, sometimes these things become overhead. Let's be blunt. Sometimes they're looked at as sort of discretionary cost considerations, and they are as a business person. But now having said that, in 2023 and 2024 and beyond, we have to be reasonable as we evaluate the cyber threat universe and what's best for, for the organization and cyber risk management. So again, the lack of cyber regulatory focus should not encourage organizations to rest on their laurels and kind of mail it in. Let's not do that. The last thing I'll mention, what I, I've seen to be a common thread around legacy infrastructure, deprecated platforms. If the organization hasn't recently invested in a refresh, if they've got legacy OT, operational technology, if they haven't enhanced the architecture in a while, there may be soft spots, again, vulnerabilities in the environment that will require enhanced security in order to get into that reasonable state. Otherwise, they're left open. You know, And that actually reminds me of one more, if I may, Leah, constrained resources. Listen, most of the construction firms that I work with operate lean. From an IT, cybersecurity, and risk management standpoint, you know these are let's let, let's be honest. These are generally not revenue generating roles, and resources are constrained. And I totally get it as a security practitioner who's been doing this for a long time. Nonetheless, we've got to figure out how to do more with less. We've got to make sure that the moves we make are the ones that matter the most. Operating with constrained resources. Those are some of the things that come to mind. So that was really helpful just for highlighting some areas where construction professionals need to be particularly vigilant. But it actually, it, just hearing you run through those kind of top five, top six, interesting because it seems like, you know, we talked about the legacy infrastructure. That is probably directly related to why we have increased vulnerability with the remote work and the increase of remote work. Because isn't that all tied together with what your cloud-based tools are? That's what you're talking about, right? Like how you access 
the company resources from remote locations? You know, it, it's all related. And the scenario that, that you described there, Leah, it could be a force multiplier of risk and vulnerability, I'll say. So specifically talking about the legacy technology, and I've seen this in the manufacturing realm, as well as oftentimes in the construction services, building management, real estate realm. Think about you know, an elevator management system. I'm just using this as an example. If that elevator system was installed with the building 50 years ago, and it's had moderate upgrades, but it's based on legacy software and systems that don't meet a modern benchmark for security and hardening and resilience against current cyber threats, then that can be a ripe target. That decades-old elevator operating system not only represents a general technology risk if a malicious actor got in there and wanted to attack that system, but isn't there also a health and safety risk associated with that? When and if a malicious actor started playing with machine controls and system controls on a weekly configured system that could could hurt somebody, could damage property, plant, and equipment, uh, all of the above. So that's just one example. Now you bring up the cloud and one might say, well, hey, we're, we're leveraging a modern cloud service provider. We're feeling really good about it. We got rid of that old elevator system. A key point that I don't wanna miss here is that even modern systems, they need to be configured and hardened per your organization's implementation. Out of the box, quote unquote, we can't rely on out of the box security. There'll be various configurable parameters whether it's related to restricted access, access hours, segregation of duties, logging, uh, various capabilities in the system, general services and hardening settings. If these aren't addressed uh, by our individual construction entities who leverage these technologies, there's an increased chance that even though they have a modern platform, it may still be riddled with security soft spots. All really good point. Thanks for elaborating on that a little bit. Do you, is there anything that you want to add before we move on? Because I, I know we really want to get into some of the tangible actions that contractors can take to try to drive better cyber risk management. But do you want to say anything about the impact that supply chain vulnerabilities or third-party service providers have on construction cybersecurity? Well, listen, you bring up a great one, Leah, and this actually does tie into one of the controls we, we need to talk about. But, you know, if I think about the past 25 years of my professional career and the matters that I've been involved with where something went wrong, significant cyber incident, a business disruption, a breach, a compromise, you know, sometimes it's really the first party, the organization that was compromised and targeted, and that's it. And that's the realm and the population of root cause, impact, results, so on and so forth, loss. But more often than not, in fact, depending on whose metric you believe, and there's various metrics and statistics out there, about half, half of the significant cyber incidents, attacks, breaches, ransomware outbreaks, business email compromise, they involve some form of a third party. Could be a service provider, could be a business partner, an interconnected business unit, function, or external party. Could also be a supply chain member. It's critical that we don't just rely on terms and conditions in an NDA to say, hey, listen, we onboarded that vendor or that service provider, or we looked at that member of our supply chain, and we're good because we've got a really good legal contract. That's important. Those terms and conditions are important, but it's not enough. 
in the context of cyber threats, in the context of potential breaches, significant supply chain business process disruption uh, that we've seen. And we're going to continue to see it. I wish it weren't true. But having said that, construction services organizations need to take a fresh look at that, not just from a materiality standpoint, but really looking at which of our key service providers, members of our supply chain, represent the greatest risk, either because of the access that they have to our environment or because of the criticality of the, the goods, service, or, or resources that they provide to us. If they experienced a material or catastrophic cyber attack, how would it impact our business? And if the answer is in the red, it's pretty bad, then we need to make sure that we know them really well, we've got good visibility to their controls, and they've got the right answers in terms of how they address it. You're giving us a lot of really important things to think about. Let's switch gears though. And <laughs> I think we've listed off a lot of threats, why construction can be very vulnerable to cyber attack, but let's talk about some controls that construction professionals can, or maybe some steps that they can take immediately to help better manage and mitigate these risks. I think I said at the outset, we were going to talk about tangible actions. So let's get into that. You know, absolutely. And enough of the gloom and doom, uh, but in all seriousness, a little humor, uh, Leah, it can be overwhelming. You're right. If we think about just the threats and the vulnerabilities, we've got a pile of problems, don't we, and challenges. It's a very realistic view of the world, though, I think, in the construction services industry. Some organizations are sitting higher in the water than others. Some organizations have elevated risk because they've got more of some of the things we talked about, and some have significantly less. So first things first, let's get into the solution. Let's get into action, to your point. One, when was the last time the organization kind of assessed risk wing to wing in an accelerated manner to really identify any burning platforms or significant blind spots. I'm talking about a foundational risk assessment. I wouldn't want my construction client or even a friend to be in a position where they were sort of ready, fire, aim. Potentially, you know, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, and you're focusing on something when you're missing other more critical priorities, if you'll forgive my analogies. The, the, the key point there is let's determine what matters most and operating in a realm of constrained and, constrained and limited resources, let's make sure that our next move is truly the most important and the one that's going to have the greatest impact. So foundational risk assessment, it's a must have. And based on that, we're going to build a more tailored and refined plan for that organization. If the organization has 3,000 employees and they're a regional construction services firm, that's going to look very different than a national firm with 50,000 employees and a global presence. Going to look different than a member of the supply chain for either one of those. So that's really a critical first step. Is that something that you have to hire an outside professional to help you do, or are there tools and resources available to get started? So first things first, I'll say you don't have to hire an outside resource unless there's a specific compliance mandate or regulatory matter that says that you do. Now, having said that, as a practitioner, I was just talking to one of my clients about this, the concept of independence and objectivity. So as we assess our business process, our risk, our controls, our current practices, we want an honest, relevant, and very real analysis and assessment and taking of stock of where we're at in the context of a larger population of other organizations. If I'm sitting inside an organization, 
I may not have that context. Context is everything. So perhaps I might be missing something, right? As an insider, self-assessing. That's why I strongly encourage, and one of the things I do as part of my day job is assess risk on behalf of my clients. Having said that, certainly as a starting point, I would encourage construction organizations to look at things like the various NIST frameworks. NIST CSF is a good one to start with. Uh, others may, may be more comfortable with like an ISO 27001. There are countless others. I'd say those are a couple of the large significant ones, particularly in North America. I think the NIST CSF, the cybersecurity framework, is pervasive and kind of omnipresent across various industries. The other thing I like about it is a lot of the collateral included tremendous thought leadership and intellectual horsepower that went into building it. So it's really good. And it's also free. There's no licensing fee associated with it. Now, what you do with it and how you implement it, that's where, you know, gray-haired cybersecurity practitioners like me come in. And we're certainly here to help you. But again, in all seriousness, there's a lot of great information out there that organizations and leaders can look at. But don't go it alone. I'd say that there's a lot that you can get from whatever external parties you're comfortable with using. So let's put some of those links in the show notes. So anyone who wants to just quickly access some of those resources you mentioned, check the show notes for links. But you bring up a really great point about having an independent kind of third party who is going to be able to do some benchmarking for you, who may have experience reviewing other companies and knows more about what the standard state of the art is. Okay. So I'm sorry, I, I jumped in. You were getting ready to kind of roll through some controls and I stopped you at one. <laughs> so. no, listen, but no, and I'm glad you did, Lee, because you, you asked some important questions and I will certainly share those links. You know, there's another saying in this industry, which is the readiness is all. Cyber incident readiness, response plans, and validation of those plans. Wash, rinse, repeat. We've got to stay vigilant. And we've got to be ready when and if the organization has a really bad day. Because if that day comes, it can go sideways significantly and fast. So not going for a fear, uncertainty, and doubt approach here, but a very real approach. We've got to have a reasonable, defensible, I'll use those terms again, cyber incident response plan to include things like roles, responsibilities, who's quarterbacking what who's making decisions, who's making calls around communications, and who's driving those communications. If our network is compromised and we need an out-of-band secure network communication platform because our environment is compromised and can't be trusted, what are we going to use? Are we going to be scrambling when a cyber attacker reveals themselves on our network? That would be a really bad situation to be in. You know, I think there's a sports analogy for everything. You know, Tom Brady, he probably didn't write the playbook and choose his team the morning of the Super Bowl. I think some preparation went into that and then some practice and some validation. If you'll humor the analogy, let's apply it to cyber incident response. What we wanna do is establish a plan that's actionable, that's specific, that covers these domains from a, you know, a cyber insurance carrier and broker standpoint, from a notification standpoint, law enforcement, legal counsel, other third parties, executive leadership, and once we have a reasonable plan in place, have we ever tested it? Let's do a simple annual cyber incident tabletop exercise. And if we've already done one, let's take a rotational approach and focus on something different this year. Again, vigilance rules the day and readiness rules the day. 
the malicious actors continue to evolve and they're doing push-ups and sit-ups and they're getting better, stronger, and faster. We've got to do the same when it comes to cyber incident readiness. So with the construction firms that you work with, where do you find the responsibility for carrying that out? Where does that generally fit? Is it within the risk management department? Is it, are you seeing more and more like chief technology officers or people with actual cybersecurity titles? I'm sure it varies. It does vary. There's been an interesting dynamic, Leah. I'm glad you asked the question. If you had asked me this question six to eight years ago, I would have had a very different answer. And what I would have said is, well, the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, or equivalent, you know, if there's a CTO or a CIO or even an information security manager within the organization, it would probably be someone in one of those roles. Fast forward, after the ransomware epidemic, when you think about the pervasiveness of ransomware and the loss, the losses were significant based on these incidents, ultimately it started really hitting the risk manager's radar heavily. And the risk managers have become sort of champions and heroes for a lot of these things. You know, and I see it every day in the context of you know, the cyber insurance realm, for example. Insurance carriers have begun pounding their fists on the table over the past couple of years. They want to see incident response plans in place and tabletop exercise. And you ask the question, why? Why is the cyber insurance carrier dictating this or mandating this? It's actually pretty darn important. And when you think about it, it's because as they look at the, the loss and the claims that they've seen that have had the most negative impact on insurance, on construction companies, for example, it's been those organizations that were not ready, that didn't have things like a cyber incident response plan. So I think to answer your question, risk managers lately have been bubbling a lot of this up. But I still see, for example, earlier today, I was on the, on the phone with an IT leader who needs some help with an incident response plan. And the Align team is, is jumping in and engaging with him. Uh, so that one was actually driven by the technology function. It's a bit of a mix. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, I can see how some of the the greatest loss could be connected to the interruption in business. Oh, yeah. And so for that reason, that makes sense to have, you know, have already developed a plan and know how you're going to respond. Because I imagine if you wait until the day of the attack, or they're, you know, holding all of your information hostage, or asking you to pay a huge ransom to get your business back functioning, you can't necessarily get that expert on the phone at that moment if you haven't previously engaged them. Oh, Lee, you're so right. And the last thing you want to be doing when, you ha when you're having a really bad day and your hair is on fire and the organization is in chaos, at least part of it, the last thing you want to be doing is saying, okay, who can we leverage for digital forensics and incident response? Who can we leverage as external counsel? Oh, by the way, now we need an MSA or terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah. That will slow you down. And I've, I've, I've seen it before. Let's get those relations and relationships in place early days while planning. And then when and if it happens, we're ready. Yeah, yeah. You have the relationships. So great, great advice. What else? So I guess a couple things come to mind. You know, because we talked about innovation and changes in the business, let's make sure that information security and risk management has a seat at the table, Leah. Mm -hmm. So as business leaders continue to evolve, add partnerships, add technologies, acquisitions, mergers, that type of thing, bring on new functional business process. That's all fantastic stuff and is driving the stability, growth of the business and the innovation. Let's be sure we don't get ahead of ourselves. Let's be sure we don't introduce those vulnerabilities. Now, how do we do it? In my view, it's behaviors driven, Leah. Foundationally, we need to make sure 
that there's someone at the table with an information security and risk management mindset. They're not saying no. They're not identifying 100 random points that are, that are aligned with an academic best practice. But at a minimum, they're identifying the must-haves. You need to identify those critical risks that could really cause something to go wrong in a material way. So it's that integration of business leaders and technology innovators with a foundational security assessment and project management process. Otherwise, when those functions get ahead of basic security and risk considerations, bad things can happen. So not to get off on a tangent, but I'm just curious whether, I mean, there's been so much innovation in the tech space and it makes me wonder with all of the recent focus on artificial intelligence, is a technology advancement like that, is, can that be used to actually enhance your cyber risk management program? It can, you know, and, and I think the very realist of thought that I have on that in my experience and, and based on my view of what uh, the current temperature uh, and landscape looks like, crawl, walk, run. Mm-hmm. I think if an organization did not have some of these foundational controls in place and had a lot of legacy infrastructure and had significant vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and weren't doing some of the blocking and tackling that we're talking about now, Leah, I would strongly admonish them from looking at you know, well, we want to we want to play hopscotch. We want to skip a couple steps and get to AI. I think AI <laughs> Go straight to AI. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it is the future. I think there's so many cool things going on in our industry. But again, I I, uh, I want to make sure our foundation. There's a construction analogy. I want to make sure our foundation yes. is solid. We love and, the analogies. <laughs> yep, I want to make sure that it that it's sound and secure. Uh, and then I, I want to look at over time, maybe as phase two, phase three, mm-hmm. how can we innovate and, and automate and leverage some AI to do some really cool things? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense for sure. You know, just a couple others in, in wrapping up, you know, because I, I think we want to keep it actionable and specific in this kind of fun and interesting dialogue that we're having, Leah. Technical vulnerabilities, you know, we can talk process and good risk management uh, and readiness, uh, and all those things are fantastic and critical, critical. We can talk cyber awareness and the human element. I'm still seeing a lot of these technical soft spots. And what I would strongly encourage is good vulnerability management practices. Let's be sure that we're scanning and the technology folks out there that are listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. Always happy to discuss these things, but foundational scanning and an inventory of all the technical assets across the environment and an enumeration of any critical or high risk vulnerabilities. We've got to identify those. We've got to remediate them or mitigate them. And if not, what we're doing effectively is leaving doors and windows open for malicious actors to compromise. We've got to do some validation there as well. Penetration testing, at least on an annual basis. These have become table stakes, Leah, in this industry for construction services firms. If we're not doing these things, we're not reasonably secure. It's not just for banks and financial institutions anymore. The industry is being targeted. And these are some not, you know, not terribly expensive or resource intensive things but they need to be done. They really do. Uh, the other thing that I, you know, I did mention, the human element, we need to drive cyber awareness through some foundational training with some depth and weight to it. You know, that last mile, Leah, between the cyber attacker and the organization's data is the human being. It's the human element. And if we don't affect the behavior and the thinking process of our employees, our staff, our contractors, We can have all the technology and controls we want. 
we've got a major soft spot in that employee. So what can we do to drive awareness and influence behaviors there? The last thing I'll mention is, you know, and this is where we get into that balance sheet analysis of cyber risk. Once we've bolstered and, and got a reasonable approach to foundational security and controls, key consideration is, you know, let's collaborate with our risk manager. What does this mean from a risk transference or cyber insurance standpoint? Cyber insurance, it's not an either or, it's not a silver bullet, but it protects the financial well-being and the financial resilience of the organization works together with the broader cybersecurity. So to me, any conversation about cyber threats, vulnerability and resilience in the construction services industry needs to focus on some of these foundational security considerations that we discussed. But then let's also make sure the organization is fiscally and financially protected with its broader cyber risk management and insurance program. Great information, CJ and good advice. And it was digestible. Even I understood the action steps. So I like that, that people can walk away and not feel too overwhelmed. (laughs) Anything else that you want to add before we wrap up? We'll put some links in the show notes. And if people want to reach out to you, uh, if they have questions, how can they do that? Sure. And listen, fantastic dialogue. And you know, I, I do think it, it's a critical time in the industry and super important. Organizations should not feel overwhelmed. They're probably not alone if, they, if some of the things we mentioned are of concerns to them. Let's get after it. You can contact me at cj.dietzman at alliant.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, CJ Dietzman. Uh, we'll also share some, some contact information in the links, but certainly would be eager to speak to any organizations or folks who want to you know, kind of dive in a bit more. Uh, good stuff, Leah. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, CJ. Thanks for all the information. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of AGC Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app, or you can stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash constructor cast. 